You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Eureka by John Thomas, Volume 1 Chapter 1, Section 5, Part 9 His Voice as the Sound of Many Waters In the tenth verse of this first chapter, John informs us that the first thing that arrested his attention when he came to be in spirit was a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And in the fifteenth verse, he tells us that the great voice was as the sound of many waters. Now, in this book, many waters is defined to be peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Chapter 17, verse 15. This would give us the interpretation that the voice of the Son of Man was the voice of a multitude, and that consequently the similitude was the symbol of a multitude, a multitudinous son of man. And this accords with the voice of Daniel's symbol, of which he testifies that the voice of his words was as the voice of a multitude. Chapter 10, verse 6. Ezekiel, also in characterising the noise made by the wings of the four cherubim, says, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of many waters, as the voice of mighty ones should I in their goings, the voice of speech as the noise of a camp. In standing they let down their wings. Chapter 1, verse 24. The meaning of this is that Ezekiel heard the voice of a multitude of mighty ones, speaking as the warriors of a camp in motion against an enemy, and that when they were not in progress, their voice was not heard. In standing, they let down their wings, and consequently, there was no sound of war. The wings of the Ezekiel cherubim, and the man-like similitudes of Daniel and John, in speaking, sounded forth as the roar of mighty waters, This was when they were in progress, advancing in body and wings their brazen-footed battalions against the fourth beast, or the apocalyptic beast and false prophet, and the kings of the earth and their armies. The former utterly consumed in the furnace, or lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the kings of the earth and their armies slain with the sword of the resurrected and glorified mystic man. The multitude of mighty ones, apocalyptically denominated the Almighty, is that great multitude referred to in chapter 7 verse 9, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. These are the many waters when their work is done. Ezekiel heard the voice of speech, 
and in uttering their great voice. Some of the things they proclaimed are, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honour, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they exist and were created. Chapter 4, verse 11. And salvation to our deity, who sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Chapter 7, verse 10, and 5, verse 14. John likens the voice to the sound of a trumpet speaking, by which similitude it is connected with Paul's testimony concerning the descents of the Lord himself from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet of deity. The apocalypse of the Son of Man is an affair of trumpets. His manifestation is preceded by the sounding of six trumpets, and in the sounding of the seventh and last it is that the saints are raised, and apocalypsed in clouds to meet their Lord the King. The last period of the seventh trumpet is a momentous and terrible epoch in the world's history. It is the sounding of the voice of the Almighty Host that is to make the world to tremble. Alluding to this, Isaiah says, All the inhabitants of the world, and dwellers on the earth, when he lifteth up an ensign upon the mountains, tremble. And when he bloweth a trumpet, they shall hear. Chapter 18, verse 3. The prophet tells us that this is to be at the time when Israel shall be brought to Yahweh Tzveoth, in Mount Zion, as a present, to the place of the name of Yahweh Tzveoth, which, as Jeremiah testifies, will at that time be called the throne of Yahweh, chapter 3, verse 17, and Isaiah 24, verse 23. This is the trumpet of Israel's restoration, among other events. This is manifest from Isaiah 27, verses 12 and 13, which says, And it shall come to pass in that day that Yahweh shall beat off from the channel of the river Euphrates unto the stream of Egypt, the Nile, and ye shall be gathered to one another, O ye children of Israel. And it shall be in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come, who were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall bow down to Yahweh in the holy mount of Jerusalem. This great trumpet shall be blown, and Zechariah tells us by whom. In chapter 9 verse 14, having told us previously that Zion's sons should be raised up to become a sword upon Greece, it is said, and Yahweh shall be seen over them, and his arrow, the ten tribes, shall go forth as the lightning, and Adonai Yahweh, Yahweh's lords, shall blow the trumpet, and shall go forth with whirlwinds of Teman. Yahweh Tzveoth shall defend them, and they shall devour and disregard the stones of the sling. The trumpet blown is for the calling of the assembly, and for the journeying of the camps. First, for the gathering of the princes, the heads of the thousand of Israel. Then, for the convocation of all Israel. And thirdly, for war against their enemies, the antitype 
of the memorial of blowing of trumpets, and of the trumpet of the jubilee, on the first and tenth days of the seventh month. Numbers 10, Leviticus 23 verse 24, and 25 verse 9. The sons of deity, his kings and priests, shall blow the trumpet, and proclaim, as the roar of many and mighty waters to the inhabitants of the world, that they are the beginning and the ending, the Elohim of all the earth, Isaiah 54 verse 5, the eternal spirit, multitudinously manifest in flesh. Eureka by John Thomas, Volume 1 Chapter 1, Section 5, Part 10 Out of his mouth a sharp, two-edged sword. A sword proceeding out of the mouth of a symbol indicates that the community represented is prepared for military operations. Yahweh, saith Moses, is a man of war, and that warrior is before us in John's similitude of the Son of Man. The mouth of such a similitude, with a sword affirmed to be proceeding out of it, is representative of the commander-in-chief. Joseph gave them wagons according to the mouth of Pharaoh, that is, according to the command of Pharaoh. When the word of command passes out of the mouth of a general, it moves armies and causes them to draw the sword and to smite their enemies with great slaughter. His word that goes out of his mouth causes blood to flow, and, as the sword is the instrument of blood shedding, the idea is fitly symbolised by placing a sword in apposition with the mouth and affirming that it is going forth. If the Son of Man were in an attitude of speaking peace to the nations, his eyes would not be as a flame of fire, and his feet would not glow incandescently, nor would his countenance be as sun-smiting heat. But all this would be modified and changed, and instead of a sharp, double-edged longsword, an olive branch would stand related to the mouth. According to the tenor of the words, in the character of the symbol. The sword directed by the mouth of the similitude is said to be sharp and two-edged. It is sharp for cut and thrust, the sword of a mighty man ready for execution, and whichever way directed is sure to smite effectively. The voice of the words of the great multitude symbolised by this sword is the voice of the Eternal Spirit speaking through them as the ministers of his vengeance. Hence the sword is symbolical of what Paul styles the spirit of his mouth, which is the Lord Jesus anointed, the mouth of the body. Thus, though represented by this cutting instrument, Paul says, the word of deity is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart.
the word is sharper now, for it can penetrate in argument, where a sword cannot reach. But how much sharper will it be, when the word of command shall find expression through a two-edged sword in the hands of the saints? But while Jesus is mouth in a personal sense, he and the saints are the mouth of the Son of Man in a corporate sense. This personal and corporate sense, in its conjoint signification, must not be lost sight of in the prophetic and symbolic scriptures, or we shall fail to perceive their meaning in the full extent. Thus, Isaiah, speaking of the one body in its Alpha and Omega manifestation, says in chapter 11 verse 4 that the rod of Jesse's stem shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked and the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea and in chapter 49 verse 2 he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword so that the enemy is slain by the words of his mouth. Hosea 6 verse 5 By reading Isaiah 49, it will be seen what is to be effected by this sword of the Spirit wielded by David's house. It effects the restoration of Israel and the salvation of the nations from the superstition and misgovernment that destroys them on every side. The similitude of the Son of Man is introduced in Revelation 19 verses 11 to 16, where it is resolved into an army, consisting of the commander-in-chief, his staff, and the troops they command, or the Lord Jesus, the saints, and the horses they ride, which are the armies of Israel. In this scene, the Son of Man has many crowns upon his head, which represents a multitude of kings under one chief. His vesture is dipped in blood, as he had just come from the sacrifice at Botra, while his bodyguards, or officers of his hosts, are clothed in fine linen, white and clean, to indicate their righteousness in peace or war. For in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Thus prepared, they are ready for the conquest of the world, which is indicated by the testimony that out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the deity who is almighty. And he hath on the vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, who, being joint heirs with their imperial chief, have a common destiny and inheritance with him. Revelation 2 verse 26 and 3 verse 21. Eureka! by John Thomas, Volume 1, Chapter 1, Section 5, Part 11, 
His aspect as the sun. His aspect as the sun shines in his power. The words heopsis alto, which I have rendered his aspect, are expressed in the English version by his countenance. In modern style, this is generally understood of the face. But John certainly did not mean this. He began his description at the hair of the head, and if he had meant the face, he would doubtless have referred to it before he passed down to the breasts. What he had reference to, after finishing in detail, was the general external aspect of the whole figure. This was typified in the general appearance of the Alpha on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James and John were witnesses of this. It was a representation of the power and coming, or majesty, of the Lord Jesus anointed. Paul, alluding to it, says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the glory and coming of our Lord Jesus anointed, but were eye-witnesses of his majesty. For he received from deity the Father honour and power, when a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. 2 Peter 1, verse 16 On that occasion, his face, prosopon, shone as the sun, and his raiment became white as the light. This transfiguration scene exhibited the Son of Man, personal and corporate, in the glory of the Father, as he will be in the kingdom of deity. His general aspect will be glorious, for the moon shall be confounded, and the sun ashamed, when Yahweh Tzfeoth shall reign the glory on Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem, and in the presence of his ancients. Isaiah 24 verse 23 our life is hid with Christ in the deity, and when he who is our life shall appear, then shall we, the saints, appear with him in glory. Colossians 3 verse 4 And says John, We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. First Epistle 3 verse 2 when, therefore, the apocalypse of the multitude of the sons of God, represented by John's similitude of the Son of Man, shall be manifested, being all like to Jesus in transfiguration, the aspect of the body will be as the sun when he shines in his power. Jesus being the Son of Righteousness, and they like him, they will be all as the sun, and when he shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. He will then shine forth in his power, the sun of an unclouded day, and as he shines, 
so will they. For he has said, To him that overcomes, I will give to sit down with me upon my throne, as I overcome and sit down with my Father upon his throne. Revelation 3 verse 21 Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Matthew 13 verse 43 And there will be no place found for the earth and the heaven, in which the beast and the false prophet and their kings now shine in all the glory of Satan. For they will have fled away from before the face and sun-like aspect of the Son of Man, seated upon the great white throne, established by his prowess for the thousand years. Revelation 20 verse 11. From the illustration of the transfiguration, the personal appearance of the saints will be splendid with brightness. But there is reason to believe that they will not be distinguishable from ordinary men in appearance until their labours are accomplished. When the angels visited Sodom, the citizens did not discern any difference between them and Lot. And so will it be with the saints who arise to execute the judgment written upon the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Revelation 11 verse 8. The nature of their work requires that they should have the aspect common to humanity, which is not at all incompatible with the symbolical glory of their body corporate. If they flashed light from their persons as the sun shoots forth his rays, their enemies would be so panic-stricken that they would not stand in fight, by which their punishment would be greatly impeded. The resurrected saints will therefore appear upon the theatre of war as Adam and Jesus when they first emerged from earth. Jesus was mistaken for the gardener, the angel of the Lord, who descended from heaven to open his grave, was of lightning-like countenance and raiment white as snow, and the guards did shake and became as dead men. But when Mary saw Jesus, she conversed with him without trepidation. There was an interval between the restoration of the body to life and the glorification of Jesus seven days before Pentecost. During this typical interval of 40 days, he associated with the disciples, ate, drank, and conversed with them as usual. The body raised, not having been received up in glory, or displayed in the brightness of spirit body, was in a condition to shine forth in incorruptibility and immortality when the fitness of things required. Now Jesus was the great example of all things pertaining to his brethren, the saints. When their bodies come out of their graves, they come forth as Adam or Jesus. Had Adam the first, who was the figure of Jesus, shone forth in glory, 
it would have been when he should have been permitted to eat of the tree of life. All the time between his creation and such eating would have been ordinary human existence. It was so with Jesus, and will be so with the saints. Between their resurrection and glorification is the resurrection state, styled in the resurrection. A period of 40 years preceding the millennium, in which some of the most important events of the apocalypse are to be transacted. The end of this judicial period, during which the kingdom is being established or set up, is the evening time, the time preceding the millennial day. When the night has passed, the day of rest arrives, in which the saints, who have been scourging throughout the earth, cease from their labours, and their works do follow them. They enter the kingdom, covered with glory, which the nations will bear in lively remembrance for a thousand years. Now, according to this arrangement, Zechariah testifies, saying, that when the Mount of Olives shall be rent asunder by an earthquake, Yahweh my Elohim shall come in, all the saints with thee. And it shall be in that day there shall be no brightness, the splendid ones shall draw in, and it shall be one day that shall be known to Yahweh, not day nor night. And it shall be at the time of evening there shall be brightness, and Yahweh shall be for king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Yahweh, and his name one. Zechariah 14, verses 5 to 9. The splendid ones of this passage are the Elohim, or saints, who will not shine forth in the brightness of their glory until the time of evening. Then, when the kingdom is restored to Israel, they will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, as Daniel, Zechariah, and Jesus have foretold. The Amen I was dead, and behold, I am living for the aeons of the aeons. Amen. This is from the Hebrew, Amen, faithfulness. The Eternal Spirit, both absolute and incarnate, is the Amen. In the letter to Laodicea, the Spirit speaks, and in speaking says, These things saith the Amen. And in this first chapter, the Amen says, I was dead, but the spirit never died. Therefore, here it must be understood of the Logos speaking from a body, personal and corporate, with whom he was united in a resurrection thereof from the dead. All the elements of this body are faithful 
and true witnesses, and believers of the promises of deity, which in Christ are yea, and in him are men, unto the glory of the deity by us. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 The Son of Man, being constituted of firm believers of the promises, is styled Ho Amen, the faithful one. Hence, all his constituents are Elohai Amen, mighty ones of faithfulness, being all of that principle, faith, without which it is impossible to please the deity. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Because, therefore, of their faithfulness, or Amen characteristics, the Spirit saith, They shall eat and drink and rejoice and sing for joy of heart. But to Israelites of an opposite character, he saith, Ye shall leave your name for a curse to my chosen one. For Adonai Yahweh shall slay thee, and to his servants proclaim another name, that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the Elohim of Amen. And he that sweareth in the land shall swear by the Elohim of Amen, the mighty ones of faithfulness. Because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hid from my eyes. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. Isaiah 65, verse 13. These Elohim, then, embodied in the Son of Man, are the Amen, who in the days of their flesh, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, and in dens, and caves of the earth. Such were the constituents of the Amen, the mighty ones of faithfulness, who all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, 
deity having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Hebrews 11 verse 33 A perfection, apocalypsed in the Amen, who was dead and lives in the millennial Olam and beyond. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.